What you're about to hear is part three of Earth's Forbidden Secrets by Max Egan. It's the third part in the book series that myself and Angus are reading. And this was an involvement of setup again. The mics are a lot cleaner this time around. And the video one of this, where you can actually follow us along with this one on, on YouTube, and I'll get that up over the next couple of days. However, I'm really liking this series as a, as a backup to the excellent conversations we've had. I did, uh, I couldn't remember the, the Temple of Solomon, Solomon's Temple in Jerusalem in this podcast. And I felt really bad about that one. So what I want to do before we crack on into the interview, I'm going to give you an excerpt from the Masonic documents that I've got. Here we go. It may seem strange that a Tyrian architect should be made the hero of a legend based upon a circumstance connected with the erection of the temple at Jerusalem and peculiar it may seem too that King Solomon should have looked to Tyre for assistance in supplying him not only with the materials but also the skilled workmen, builders and architects. But Tyre was much in advance of Israel in regards to architectural science. It was the home of a society of builders which was exclusively confined to the privilege of erecting temples and public buildings within the Tyrian kingdom. This society was known as the Fraternity of Dionysian Architects, who were linked together by secret ties of the Dionysian mysteries, into which all the members had to be initiated. These mysteries had been introduced into Tyre, most probably from Greece, and contained a peculiar legend referring to the murder of Bacchus, by the Titans and his subsequent restoration of life. The existence of this order in Tyre at the time of the building of the temple is universally admitted, and H.A.B., which is Haram, the skillful architect, was doubtless a member of the fraternity. As Dr. Mackey states, we are scarcely claiming too much for our order when we suppose that the Dionysians were sent by Haram, king of Tyre, to assist King Solomon in the construction of the house he was about to dedicate to Jehovah, and that they communicated to their Jewish fellow laborers a knowledge of the advantage of the fraternity and invited them to a participation in its mysteries and privileges. That's very fascinating. It's that, that's sending me down an entirely different rabbit hole, uh, that set of documents. However, I just wanted to share that because I felt bad. I couldn't remember Solomon's Temple in this one. Because I've uh, taken up your time with that little excerpt that I hope you enjoyed. I'll, I'll, I'll shut up and I'll get you guys get into this. Part 3, Earth's Forbidden Mysteries. I'm liking using Waiting for the World to Change and I Know You as the songs at the moment. just seems to be appropriate. Hope all is well. Look after yourselves. Stay safe. Be kind. Be cool. And we'll talk soon. Cheers.
Mate, how are you going? Good, mate. Yourself? Good, man. Good. Look at this. It's Look at uh, us. Version. I don't know. Lo-fi what, video. I don't. Yeah. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what version or number uh, of the refinery or this is or resolution. It's only seven twenty. Oh, there's a ten eighty p coming, man. There's no need to be like that. That's all right, man. We're we're, we're it gives it a, a a vibe. Well, we're testing it. Got a vibe. We're testing our boundaries, man. Listen, yeah, we this will be good. So this is forbidden. Uh, You've Earth's it? Forbidden Secrets, mm. part three, this will be. Hello, Max Egan. Thank you. Uh, we're not um, going to release the first two that we did on video because it's crap, to be perfectly honest. So, yeah. But we're going to release this one because we've figured out how to share the screen so you don't it have to see how, how bad they must have been That's when you right, look at this one. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't need to be like that. <laughs> no, anyway. I'm, not, I'm not only just commenting on that now. I'm sure I'm just being self-deprecating. Oh, right. Um, but yeah, man, look, I think this is cool. This is definitely an evolution. Something different. Something different. And uh, welcome to the refinery. You can actually see a portion of the refinery. Uh, this is going to change probably by the next time you see this. So, but it's, it's going to evolve. evolve. It may evolve along the way. But, mate, coming on from the last session we did, um, we, it was uh, Nathan and uh, we mentioned Jesse, a couple of listeners uh, last time. However, in we're gonna, what we're going to do is I, I want to get – so a couple of the boys have liked some of the articles on the page. So I went and had a look at who's liking what. And it's only a couple of boys, don't get me wrong. But, you know, the uh, – The engagement. The engagement. The interest seemed to yeah. be there. Mm. So we thought we might um, – for those of you who um, are like listeners it. that haven't, yeah. haven't jumped onto the – the Facebook page mm. and aren't familiar with these, we thought we might spread the word. Because mm. mm. there's a heap of stuff. And the reason we, if you remember correctly, man, the reason we post on the, the reason I started doing that more often is we're actually going to do stuff like this. We're going to look at the articles because there was so much information. So mm. we're going to try and make time to do that. No, that's, it. that's it. We'll just pass on the, some of the stuff we find. Sometimes it might be good. Sometimes it might not be. Mm. Sometimes it might be, scientifically based other times it might be a little bit more um what's into today imaginative we've got, today we've got one of each haven't we mate we so, have we have so the and, first and, one and let's let's not while we're while we're getting started in the prologue of this of this episode mm. let's not um uh let's take a moment to stop and thank randall carlson oh, for his most man. recent episode of jre if you have you know, i i I've to. I'm about to listen. I'm about to go through my second like run through that one. I went through it once because yep. Randall doesn't shut up, so it's hard to. Oh, and he will tangentize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, yeah, if you give you him the opportunity. Um, yeah. but yeah. So he he did a 15 minute rant on how many big rocks have actually missed us in the last since the 80s. Since the 80s, and it's terrifying. Just mm. quietly. Yeah. How many um, big rocks have been have been noticed and an article written about them? Yeah, by the way, that's right. That's and the and the common thread with some of those is. They didn't see him until they'd already passed. Until by. they'd passed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and we're talking in between the moon and us. So yeah. 
And yeah. um, look, it's it's not, none of the the info as a whole was was new, but it's just the way that Randall sort of action packed it into. Well, see, Randall's a podcaster now. Cosmographia is excellent. His nine or ten part series on Atlantis is is required listening. Yeah, it's hard. You're gonna have to dig in. However, yep. it's worth it. Yeah. Um, and I think because he's a podcaster now. He's able to condense because he's a he's a tangent and he's got just so much information. He's got so much stored in that. Yeah, big but I think he's being able to tangentialize. Yeah, his information now, yep. and he can pull it up and be a bit more succinct. Yeah, because it's like you could ask him about you know one of those you know the sacred geometry crystals in the in the shelf there, and he'd mm. go on for the next five days. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, <laughs> and he'd break it down and he'd take you back to to the um beginning and he'd walk you all the way through it like yes. the same as what he did with atlantis yes. you know yes. went back and completely broke down all of the stuff mm. that um from uh, socrates socrates and plato and Plato's. Plato. yeah um but then walks walks you hand in hand yeah. all the way through all the reasons why he thinks that that this is the way it is well if and, i'm if i'm not wrong randall is one of the first people that we connected over when talking about the jre and oh, randall carson over the fence i think that was the conversation was like, that got us pretty started. sure it's episode 596 yeah something like that yeah, it's around yeah, it's, there it's, it's around there somewhere. in my brain yeah but mate um so we've got two articles all and right the first well, let's, one let's delve yeah. into this first article shall we so, so we'll thank jock Kirill, and joseph for liking this for one. the engagement yeah, on, on the page. On the page. Thanks very much. Now boys. this article is from February 9th, 2022. So it's pretty recent. And um, the headline reads proof that, Oh, hang on a second. Where did we say this was from? What, what news? Ancient. It's, it's a reputable. It was like news super force. reputable. Ancient files. Ancient files. Mm. Files, files, files. So allow me to delve back into, sorry. I cut myself off. Proof that ancient super civilization existed before Antarctica had ice. Now, I'd just like to add there, I would like to change that to... I don't know why it's a super civilization. Possibility. Why we have to have super civilization? Possibility of evidence that ancient super civilization... You know, I hate I hate these yeah. absolutes proof. that we talk in, so I'm, gonna get, I'm just going to change that. Look, Scrub I out think- proof. We're going to run that into. Like, I'm not. I'm, I'm, hey, let's say ancient advanced civilization. I don't like super. I think super's no good. Young young man, Jamie, can you please pull up the article? I don't believe we're sharing. Oh, we're not sharing. Ooh, Ooh. this uh, early teething, early times. That's all right. People. It's all right. We have the technology. There we go. Ta-da. See, and see now you don't have to see us in much such a better large, size. Much better size. We yes. don't want you to. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Scroll me down, big okay, fella. Okay, let's go. Don't hit any ads. What if I told you an ancient advanced super civilization existed before Antarctica had ice? That they met their demise due to something apocalyptic. Due to something apocalyptic, yeah. Lovely little map there. The map you see above was rediscovered in 1929 by a German theologist. It was created in 1513 by Ottoman Admiral and cartographer Perry Reese and is said to be one of the last maps drawn all of one of off of or drawn, drawn off, off of one of Christopher Columbus's maps thank that, you sir yeah it didn't look that's all right you helped me there using the columbus map along with much older ancient arabic maps perry reese was able to produce this yeah. 
But what has the scientific community buzzing is the fact that he draws Antarctica with no ice. And obviously, the, one of the reasons we brought this up is we looked at the maps in the last episode. Correct. Exactly. So we thought it was very prevalent. Mm. This map, along with two others in existence, the only to ever depict an article, an article with no ice. And, and uh, depict Antarctica with no ice? Mm, must be. Look, it's a reputable source. It's course. super reputable. It's been fact-checked and yeah, it's been grammar-read a few yeah. times. The more popular of the two maps, remaining is the that's not the sorry right, that's not the right <laughs> that's the Phineas map that's not the right <laughs> wow 15 yeah the Phineas yeah, map, right, 1534 Phineas and Ferb yeah. from 1534 <laughs> world map wow we, prob- we probably should have done some we probably should have. <laughs> that's okay These that's our one. problem anyway both creators reference a compilation of ancient maps that are no longer in existence meaning ancient civilizations existed that could map the world before Antarctica had ice. Not only were they able to produce them, but they did also so accurately as both maps have the circumference of the earth correct within 50 miles. Didn't we read in Max's book that it was actually more accurate than the current maps? Um, There was was one of them that was more accurate, and that's how they picked up on the fact they... Because... You could listen to last. Oh, Mercator. Yeah. So the Mercator maps. That's right. They were. They had longitude. Mm. Longitude. Yeah. Yeah. That's the right one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Longitude. They had the up and down. Yeah. 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 The one you need uh, time for. Yeah. 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 Basically. So they'd have an an accurate. And that was that was before they had uh, longitude, but it was showing longitude. That's right. Then. The next well, map, as far as we is, understand it, the Vikings were the first to be able to figure out how to sail massive distances. If you believe the because the Vikings keep popping up everywhere, if you, if you find Viking remnants, mm, it's not a surprise, yeah. No, the Vikings are definitely very early seafarers, mm. but I think obviously much earlier than that, you know what I mean? Uh, so I, I just sneeze, hang on. Oh, hang no, on, where's the on. cough button? Oh, there you go. Got it. Bless you, mate. Boom. So, where were we? And not only were they able to produce them, but they also did so, read this part. So, when did this ancient super civilization exist? I have a problem with super. I don't like super. Super. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, Look, are they trying for something new instead of advanced? Yeah. They're just going with super. Super. It's nothing. There's no reason why it was super, though. Yeah. You know? just maybe a little bit advanced. Mm. They figure anywhere from 9 to 130 BC. Uh, that's only... It's, no, I don't think that's right. Doesn't Because that's 2,500 years ago. Well, not yet. Well, it, yeah. It, yeah, pretty much. Whereas we, would, a, we would say prior to... Yeah. The Younger Dryas. Yes. And I feel like they're only putting it there because of the dates on on the maps. On the map, yeah, okay. Because it's just got to, it's only got to be before that. Yeah, but see, a lot of people won't mention the younger drives yet either. There could be a yeah. Well, that's that is true, but that that puts so that puts Antarctica ice free two and a half thousand years ago. Yeah, which there's sort of no reason why that should be. No, and I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm look just going to throw this out there i have nothing to back it up but i'm pretty sure hopefully i'm right ready 
I'm pretty sure there's older ice cores yes. from Antarctica. Well, I think that's that what they say. Further yeah, than two and a half thousand years. Yeah. Steady. 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 Anyway, we digress. So when did this ancient advanced civilization exist? They figure anywhere from 9 to 130 BC. This number was derived from ice core samples taken from the Arctic shelf that proved it had no ice during this time. Okay, well, that's the Arctic, though. and That's that's the Arctic shelf. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, many believe that the civilization could have See how I'm just skipping that now? Mm-hmm. Could have been the giants and that they were the ones responsible for all of the megaliths we find throughout the world. Yeah, okay. You that well, well, if they were the giants, now they're not old enough even by... Um, so that means there was giants main, here two and a half thousand years ago. Yeah, and built the pyramids two and a half thousand years ago because that's what... <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, wow, there's some plot holes here. Yeah. Anyway... Um, the ancient stone carvings were how they cemented their legacy in history. Okay, we look, yes, mm-hmm. I think so. But what happened to them? Where did they go? Well, this is where it gets interesting. In 2006, using data produced by satellites that pick up gravitational anomalies, a team of researchers discovered a massive anomaly below Wilkesland in Antarctica. What they discovered... 300 miles wide crater at a depth of almost 2,400 feet. They figured this massive crater, which is up to three times the size of the Chicxulub crater, which ended the dinosaurs. The Chicxulub crater. <laughs> was produced by an asteroid. Look, I'm just going to read on. Go, go. The asteroid that killed the dinosaurs was nearly six miles wide. Mm. This one is estimated to be almost 30. But this is where I feel researchers are getting it wrong. Well, keep going. They assume that this impact took place almost 200 million years ago. In all reality, they haven't been able to verify this because it's so far below Antarctica's ice shelf. So my theory is they're mistaken. Look, I feel like these guys are sort of, they're flying by the seat of their pants a little bit. Because now they're bringing up like a, a comet impact theory that in doesn't Antarctica. in Antarctica that doesn't include the asteroid actually made impact regions to nine to thirteen thousand years. So that's there's you yeah. So now they're coming dryers. into younger dryers. Anyway, this look, in, uh, it's a little bit. Uh, look, let's just read on. And there's we'll only keep, there's only two sentences left. Yeah, right. <laughs> that uh, asteroid actually made an impact as recent as nine to thirteen thousand years ago this impact would be so devastating that it could actually shift the poles yeah, and I agree it with that. would most certainly create, and well, that's our basketball theory, yeah. an ice age due to the debris blocking out the sun. Mm. That along with massive flooding, which some scholars believe there has been more than one flood would wipe oh, out 90 plus okay, so percent just... of all things living on earth, including civilizations. So what do we all think? Could my theory be correct? Mm, it's a stretch. Yeah, he's stretching. It, and, I, see, and the, what's interesting to me is that I follow the Antarctica research and I follow the crater research, and I've never heard of the crater being found underneath Antarctica. No, me neither. That's that's new to me and we needs both, to be dug we, into yeah, further. Yeah, we both follow that. So I don't – the fact that I haven't heard about that is odd considering that's pretty much what my Facebook feed is. Yeah. Now, let's not also forget that they have found um, – 
Oh, the um, the crater, the Hiawatha crater, the Hiawatha crater, which was the stats were similar. Are they talking about Hiawatha? Is he is he just got his poles mixed up? Uh, possibly, um, because it's under. Well, it's becoming evident because the ice is receding. Yeah. Um, is but it, look, have they found anomalies under the ice in Antarctica? Yes, they have. Do we need to dedicate some time to Antarctica at some point in the near future? Yeah, I think we do. Do lizard people live there? Possibly. Yeah, well, that's your theory, right? But I, it, um, yeah, look, I think we just move on. It, look, man, it, we none of us know. Could he be right? Yeah, here's another perspective well, of the mirror ball. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's the... Yeah, and at the same time, like, to add some of what they're saying onto the, um, the prevailing theories that are coming along, mm. you know, we mentioned Randall before. Well, Randall talks about the possibility of over a thousand years it being a series of parts of either comets or asteroids, mm. sort of thing coming coming in and, and raining down uh, destruction upon the Earth over yeah. a, a period of time. It wasn't one impact. Yeah. But there's nothing to say. Well, there's some evidence for that. Hence the reason why Randall's created that theory but also there's nothing nothing to say that there was never an impact in antarctica even though you would probably assume that there would have been at some point i mean how many massive craters are actually on australia it's like something oh yeah no but i mean in in that run yeah yeah within those three thousand year period yeah yeah, exactly it could have been a massive impact in antarctica and then a series of other ones hit you know that's a kind of the perfect storm you know if you want to if you want to hit everywhere where there's heaps of ice and really do a good flood. Well, I think, I think what the other thing is too, man, is that we're and we're going to see with the mud flood stuff and some of the other stuff we've been looking into that the evidence is we passed through the, the planet passed through, I think a dust cloud or something in the early 1900s, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Which is the mud flood, some part of the mud flood hypothesis, which I think Max is going to get into yeah. later on. So, yeah, I think we, we go through periods, man. You know mm. what I mean? Like we do remember we walk through the shooting gallery twice a year, you know? Mm. Yeah, like, well, Randall had a good analogy for it. And to this will be the last time I bang on about him tonight. How many times but can it, we say it, it was like if you come up to a an intersection on the road, it depends on what time of day you could yes. cross that yes, and, that and be completely safe yeah. for majority of the day if you're yeah. if you're there from nine o'clock at night till Till five o'clock in the morning, traffic's very low. Yeah. Uh, whereas you hit it at peak hour. Yeah, you get it there at eight thirty in the morning. So if you imagine that as a asteroid belt, mm. um, like the toroid meteor stream, mm-hmm. well, now now you've you can imagine pockets of densities around that orbit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and absolutely, maybe thirteen thousand years ago, we were in a densest. We were crossing a denser section. And at currently, we've been in lighter sections. Yeah, that's right. But maybe Tunguska was the start yeah, it, of we're coming back into the density. Well, I, I, I can't, I, where was I? I think I was, uh, I was, I was fixing the fence. Well, yep. the fence is finished, mate. That's awesome. But, Finish the fence. Uh, today. However, that's when I was listening to Randall. Yep. And when he went on for 20 minutes with the how many, close calls we've had because i knew about a few of those but i had no idea yeah and don't forget what does pillar 43 tell us look to the sky in your times man yeah that pillar matches four dates and one of them is today mm. what does the maya the the calendar tell us it's at the end of a cycle 
And what's the message? Look to the sky in your time. Mm. And we're at so, the end. We're so in the- maybe that, that new calendar, the end of that world, mm. was that world that existed in a peaceful, quiet time. Exactly. Because that not only have Map. they mapped all the other the things in the bloody sky, they've also mapped the, the dense belt. pockets of the Total asteroid belt. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Hang on a minute. Yeah, exactly. That could be a thing. Yeah, man. It's I there, mean, it might a... be a leap of faith, but well, look, that's an interesting. I wonder. I wonder if dates link up to to yeah map the toroid media stream or could multiple be, belts. You know, could be just dense periods of this from of hell from the sky. Yeah. Well, we're going to go from uh, that quality article, which we re- we should have proofread. I apologise. <laughs> we're coming over now to the science time. Science times. Do a better job, guys. Okay, here we go. Comet Bernardinelli Bernstein or Bernstein, as big as 15 Mount Everest, experts say, will pass by Earth in by 2031. Scientists have verified the finding of the biggest comet ever seen and revised its measurements to around 85 miles in diameter. That's great. It's nearly double the size of the notorious comet Hale Bop, which held the previous record. The ice monsters, the ice monster is C slash 2014. Uniform November 271. Uh, <laughs> what made you I don't know. just jump into the, is it the phonetic alphabet? Yeah, phonetic alphabet, yeah. BB. What are you doing? Well, I was in logistics for a long time. We used, I used to use it all the time. But you didn't Charlie the oh, no, I know. 2014. Listen, man. <laughs> is it is it not already clear tonight that we're just flying by the seat of our pants? All right. I'll, I'll drop it. Uh, <laughs> uh, BB, which is currently speeding towards the sun, will make its closest approach on January 21, 2031. The comet, which is almost 15 times the size of Mount Everest, there's a good one. That's something to think about. Provides an unparalleled glimpse of a massive comet from the furthest regions of our solar system. So, yeah, it's it shot itself out of the Oort cloud. Researchers uploaded the study size and albedo, which I only I found out uh, today was how is the brightness. The albedo is ah. the brightness of something of the largest detected Oort cloud object. Uh, on the preprint server, da, 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 set of publication. Comet BB is the biggest all cloud object yet discovered, measuring nearly twice as huge as Comet. Is, is that Halibob? I think it is. Charlie 2014, uniform November 271, is also bigger than Comet Sarabat, found in 1729 and had a nucleus diameter of about 62 miles, 100 k's. The biggest Comet experts have previously measured the relative precisity as Halibot, which meters 460. For miles, IFL sign said, despite the estimate being on the lower end of the initial range, uh, the 2014 is still larger than all but one of the active centaurs, which orbit between Jupiter and Neptune and occasionally, occasionally emit comet like outbursts. Pretty cool picture of it there. It's not a bad one. Oh, this is oh, that's, that's Halibot. How close is it going to get? It's going to be a fair way out. Yeah, it's a fair it? way out. Yeah. Because yeah. they haven't mentioned how close it's going to be. Yeah. So they're only going on about the size of it. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. passing between us and the moon. Look, it's it's giving us some. You, look, you guys can see what we're seeing. So, uh, the research has quantified BB's surface brightness from a distance of twenty astronomical units, roughly twice as far as Saturn, as the most distant measurement of a comet's albedo ever undertaken. Uh, Vice News said all of these data will aid scientists preparing for BB's close approach to the Sun in twenty thirty one. 
While this is unlikely to be visible to the human eye from Earth, scientists will undoubtedly direct advanced observatories such as the recently launched James Webb Telescope towards this massive object as it rushes through the sky, where it might lose half its mass in the sun's brightness. Given that BB's orbit is predicted to be completed only every three million years or more, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Yeah, you might say that. Yeah, there you go. So, um, that's and this is the thing we're just talking about rocks from the sky. The Oort cloud just spat out a comet that's you know coming at you. Yeah, bigger, as big as fifteen Mount Everest. <laughs> but yeah, it's about I think it's fifteen astronomers. Let's not forget it. Maybe miles off course. Yeah, to hit us at this point in time. Well, this is my question: How accurate is the tracking data? Oh, I reckon a fairly, a fairly accurate. Because you you know that there's supposedly a clo- the the next one there's a, a close shave that'll be visible to the naked eye uh, in 2029 or something. And I'm like, how do you know it's going to go that close? Mm. Show me your computer modeling. Well, look, I'm sure it's, I'm sure that'd be fairly spot on. If they can track it for, you know, two or three months, mm. they can get a good trajectory. Yeah. And then the boffins are usually pretty good at calculating sort of gravitational pull. Mm. And then, yeah, look, I think that'd be fairly, fairly right. I think it's the ones we don't see that that are the issue. Well, the other problem is at the moment. Uh, oh, sorry, it's... just one more thing, and what I was what I was going to say, just to tag onto the comment before. Um, while the comet might be um, passing us from a long way away, I'm pretty sure they haven't checked its trajectory trajectory against all the other little asteroids that are out there. It might. Glance off another into one. Yeah, that's right. Break into a few bits mm. and send a few bits at us. Mm-hmm. So you know they're all worthwhile being worried about. The you know, the other thing I and I know we should be stop mentioning Randall. However, um, the other thing that Randall's was, off the handle tonight, mate. Yeah. <laughs> he said that at current currently that the rocks from the sky are not only be coming from behind the sun during the October November, yeah, but they're also coming out of the Pleiades. From the direction of the Pleiades. Yes, from the shoulder. So the it's shoulder like, of the bull. That's where they get their name from. Pleiades, man. I yep. mean, that's the, you yeah. know, that's it's all linked together, man. <laughs> that's right. So, like, we needed a rock from the sky, but anyway, we'll, we'll keep going. So, look, back to Earth's forbidden secrets. So, we left off with the Nazca lines. And just for the listeners and the watchers, I just thought we'd, uh, you know, there's a couple of nice pictures of the Nazca lines. Um, however, from here, we're going to, the Ica stones or the Ica stones? Ica, Ica. Ica, Ica. Uh, and we had seen some of these, but this is probably, there's probably some stuff in here we don't know. So this will be interesting. You ready, mate? Let's <clears throat> do it. Strap in. Just hydrate. All right. I think it's Ica. I would say Ica. What do you reckon? Let's go with Ica. Undoubtedly, another one of the greatest enigmas of the archaeological world surrounds a collection of some 15,000 iron artifacts that were found in Peru in 1960. Similar in many ways to the Nazca lines, I referred to a collection of glyphs carved onto stones that collectively form a veritable rock library now known as the Ica stones. The unusual scenes depicted in detailed carvings on the stones appear to be from the pre-Columbian era and the sheer volume of them is astonishing. There is also a rather intriguing story that surrounds these enigmatic carved stones. The stones were supposedly found in a cave 
by a native farmer at a place called Ica, about 300 k's from Lima. The farmer claimed to have found piles of them in various caves and gorges in the area, some scattered about the ground and some slightly buried beneath the surface. At first, the farmer had only a few bags of cast stone, but then later returned with literally thousands of the artifacts and for some time made a comfortable living for himself selling the stones to tourists at market stall, at a market stall. Before long, the farmer had become something of a local celebrity and word began to circle in the archaeological community and many experts began to descend on the area to investigate the validity of the stones. Naturally, the sudden attention quickly aroused the interest of the Peruvian government, who, fearing Peru would come another Egypt and would soon be overrun with diggers and robbers, promptly arrested the farmer to investigate his claims for themselves. That's a... Why? That... Let's not explore the ancient past. Let's arrest the dude that's selling the stones and take them away and hide them in a vault somewhere. Yeah. And we'll do it because we're scared of your for your safety. Yes, yes. Don't want to exactly. rob us. It's for it's for your safety. <laughs> uh, it was un- it is unclear what was said to the farmer during his confinement. Yeah. Upon his release, he suddenly stated in writing that the entire collection of stones was a hoax and that he had carved the stones himself in order to pick the tourists and make some easy money. He had just never realized it would get so out of hand. So he just hand carved 15,000 stones. Mm. So he's a busy boy. Yeah. So one a day. I mean, these stones are pretty detailed. How many hours does it take you to do one of those? Mm. Uh, that one on the right, a lot more than the one on the left. That's right. So let's say the one on the left, let's say an hour, two hours, you know, times that by 15,000. How many years did he send carving the stones just to flog them off? Yeah. Anyway, we'll keep going. That's right. Uh, but there is much more to the story than that. In 1966, the town's local physician, Dr. Javier Cabrera, received one of the stones from a native as a birthday present. The doctor, who had heard of the farmer's novelties, noticed that the stone certainly looked ancient, but what had really intrigued him was the fact that it appeared to actually depict a type of prehistoric fish. The actual farmer in question was wholly uneducated, unable even to read. Yeah, so he just punched out 15,000 stones. So in then, his downtime, in his downtime, because he's not reading, he's not reading, and he's a farmer, <laughs> so he's busy during the day. So at night, he just punched out, I don't know, a thousand stones. That's what you do, one a night. Yeah, one a for night, fifteen thousand days. Yeah, that's yeah. what's that? I don't know, a lot of years. Yeah, three. Someone, someone do that math. For me. <laughs> I'm so far out of it. Three years, well, three times. That's forty-five years. If he did uh, a thousand stones, one a day, three hundred sixty-five days. Yeah. So three years to a thousand. Oh yeah. Yeah, right. So yeah. that's forty years. Yep. So yeah. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah. I'm happy with that. Forty five <laughs> years. We'll run with that. Yeah. So how then puzzled the doctor? Should, how old could, was he? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Could such a man possibly possess enough knowledge of paleontology to be able to produce an accurate and anatomically correct carving of an extinct sea creature? It's a fair question, man. That's a good yeah, good point. And then you can see there that's the one he's talking about on the I believe it's called a coelacanth. Oh, I like that. I'm going to go with that, that too. I'm just making that now, up. Now, now, somewhat interested, Dr. Cabrera began to visit the farm and soon became the main recipient of the carved stones, of which it appeared that the farm had virtually endless supply. The doctor then began to create a kind of stone library, which he organized by subject matter. The subject included races of man, ancient animals, lost continents, and global catastrophes. He questioned the farmer many times about the source of the stones, but the, father, the farmer, still in fear of being arrested again and jailed for life, remained evasive and persisted with his story that he had carved the stones himself. 
It must also be understood here that removing or selling ancient artifacts carries a heavy penalty under international law, a fact we could help explain the farmer's sudden change of attitude when he's arrested. Yeah, so obviously he didn't carve the stones. This is pretty clear now. The farmer produced more of the stones for sale every week, and after purchasing a few thousand of them, Dr. Kaberaband became to feel as though he had indeed fallen prey to the farmer and that the man had actually created the thousands of cast stones himself. So then he began pressing the man on the method he had used to carve them. But again, the man continued to remain evasive and kept refusing to discuss even the method he had used to carve them with the doctor. Eventually, Dr. He had no fucking idea. Exactly. Eventually, Dr. Gabera <laughs> reasoned that logically, because of the enormous volume of the stones in the collection, the farmer had indeed, if the farmer had indeed carved all the stones himself, he would have to carve the first stone when he was two years old Boom. and then carve one stone every day for over 40 years. There, we there go. you go. In order to produce the total library. It didn't, take much to reason that quite obviously such a thing was not possible so dr cabarrus then set out to find the answers about the eco stones based on a study of the many designs depicted on them you know what i reckon they're from i reckon he's come across the the like rubbish dump of a school that taught masons how to carve stone yeah so right that, it's like the that's like, like the their practice. projects yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah their projects they had to do yeah like the pro yeah for sure End of um, end of term, do a fucking fish. Mm. Which fish? I don't know. Yeah, that, whichever one you want. Whichever one. Copy this map onto this stone. Yeah. Yeah. The carved stones come in a huge variety of sizes. There are some that will fit in the palm of your hand, others about as large as a medium-sized dog. Right. So he wasn't just doing... Yeah. Right. He's not just doing them on his lap. And all sizes in between. Every stone depicts an image of an etched into the surface of the rock in continuous lines, not scratched on by repeated lines. Geologically, they are a form of anastite, a very hard volcanic rock that varies in colour. Andesite, sorry. Uh, that varies in colour from grey to black and is quite difficult to etch using hand tools. Andesite comes in various forms. Coal is, yeah, andesite's coal. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, notably, the etched sections of the rocks reveal a different colour than the original patina and that appears on the outer surface of the stone and yet etched grooves also reveal signs of this patina indicating that the etching was done a very long time ago. However, patina can also be faked, yeah, but not by a farmer who can't read. And so one of the stones was also sent for testing to laboratories in Germany, who have since authenticated both the patina and the incisions of the etchings to be extremely ancient. To briefly explain the dating of carved stone, radiocarbon dating, commonly used on such things as pottery or clay figurines, cannot be used on rock because rocks contain no organic material. However, the surface of the rock has a varnished coating covering it, which is the result of bacteria and other minute organisms that adhere to it over time. Old rock will have a coating of thousands of years to darken, discolor, and eventually form a solid coating of each stone, on each stone. Etching the surface of the stones naturally removes this layer of varnish. On the eco stones, this layer of patina can also be found where well, I've lost it. Uh, it can also be found within the etch grooves, which indicates that the etching was done an extremely long time ago at least long enough for the varnish to build up again. Many of the scenes depicted on the eco stones are quite astounding and seem well beyond the knowledge of an uneducated farmer from a small Peruvian village. Yeah, Thank you at, for making that point, sir. Yeah, thanks, mate. Look at that. I mean, look at some of this stuff, man. I'm actually really glad that we, the, the guys that are watching this, you can see it. Um, so it'll be up on YouTube, probably BitChute as well. I'm going to delve into other... A couple other places. Mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's where it's going. Yeah. 
by the looks of it. Yeah, there are stones showing genetic codes and the pro- pro- prolongation of life. Prolongation of life. Some that show blood vessels being reconnected via absorption tubes. Okay. Oh, is that what he's saying there? Oh, yeah, it's like surgery. Look at that. I didn't see I that. I didn't even notice that. I didn't even see that's true. That's what it does look like, though. Uh, oh, that's a, yeah, cesarean. One stone depicts a cesarean section while using acupuncture as a form of anesthetic. There are many stones that clearly depict people riding on dinosaurs. Dinosaurs? And on flying reptiles. Interesting. There are stones depicting natives wearing tall crowns and long robes similar to the Incas in appearance while performing medical procedures on patients. Some even depicting heart and brain transplants. Others show men using telescopes with a view approaching with to view an approaching comet. <laughs> that's there's a series, oh, that's timely. Yeah, there's a series of four stones that show the four hemispheres of the Earth. And studies have now shown that all of them are reasonably accurate except one that shows an extra continent that is no longer there. That's interesting. It's interesting that lost continents are such a constant theme of so many ancient myths, isn't it? <laughs> Thanks, mate. Okay, so we've got some pictures down here. We'll, we'll unpack these in a sec. Another very interesting stone shows a rather accurate depiction of some of the lines found on the Nazca Plains. Even though the lines can only really be viewed from the air, it's difficult to believe such an accurate carving could have been done by a village farmer. <laughs> Dr. Cabrera soon reasonably concluded that it was simply not possible that the farmer had carved all the artifacts on his own. He simply did not have the time, the skills needed, or the scientific and botanical knowledge required to create the stones. After some time and after purchasing about 11,000 stones, the doctor became a trusted friend of the farmer. He eventually learned the man was only released from prison once he'd agreed to present a signed confession stating he was cheating the tourist. He had agreed to say that the stones did not come from the hills, but he actually carved them himself. It was either that or go to the prison for the remainder of his life for selling stolen antiquities. Check this out, man. There you go. There's a dinosaur. Triceratops or Diduceratops. Yeah. <laughs> Diceratops. Diceratops. What's that one there? Figure 18. What does he say? It's something figure 18 uh, performing medical procedures. Oh, yeah. Look oh, at that. yeah. I see a little. Yeah, yep. yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, right. That is. Look, it's got blades. There's the intestines. That's not that crazy. There you go. There's old mate looking up at a comet. Oh, That's yeah. pretty clear. There's the comet in the sky. That's insane. Hmm. Those one that twenty and twenty ones. That's the ones that's um. Ink. Oh, so twenty ones Nazca planes. Nazca lines. It is too. Look, that's the Nazca line. There you go. Yeah. We just looked at those. It yep, is too. The, the Thunderbird looking one the down Thunderbird the bottom. One. Wow. Yeah. Monkey, that's wow, man, dude. This is new to me. That's those those two things right there. Well, yeah, this to this detail. Wow, I never knew that. New to me, but but like that, just that Nazca line one. Let let your mind just run over that for a second. And the comet one as well. And the comet one's pretty insane as well. The comet one. (laughs) Yeah, I'm saying Nazca lines, bro. Because they're in the air. Let you exactly let your brain run over that for a second. Mm -hmm. We only discovered it from a a pilot in the 40s or something, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So then let's just think about that for a moment. If these really are ancient, how the fuck were they looking Mm. at it? And this, I think 20 must be the is the map, I would say. 20 20. is the map. There you go. Uh, the oh, series yeah. of four stones, four hemispheres of the earth, and studies have shown that all of them are reasonably accurate except the one stone shows the extra that's no longer there. 
Well, if you look, I would say that's probably Atlantis, but you know, somewhere can, out around those Azores, yeah, near the Azores plateau, Azores. Uh, okay, that's that's a bit mind blowing, man. I never knew that until this moment. All right. Dr. Cabrera continued his research in an effort to interpret the maps depicted on several stones, even working with numerous geologists to obtain their expertise. Several of the stones had maps them showing what looked like the world, only in a somewhat weird configuration. Some of the angles of the land masses looked vaguely familiar, but a majority of the continents were badly warped into strange shapes, making identification difficult. However, after further studies, geologists have now confirmed that based on current computer projections, the shapes indicated on the rocks are indeed accurate for the planet Earth, as it was about 13 million years ago. Dun, dun, dun. That is pre-Stone Age. Some of the carved stones... 13 million, that's a long time that's ago. That's a long time ago, man. Some of the carved stones even accurately show ancient star charts. And again, this poses enormous questions. How could anyone without recent, very recent scientific knowledge, accurately know how the skies looked from Earth and how the Earth looked from the skies at around 13 million years ago. Okay. Wow. Yeah, let alone an uneducated farm from Peru in 1960. And let's not forget this. Oh, it just gets so complicated because we paused for a moment on the Nazca lines a minute ago, but now... This now we've, now we've got a bunch of stones hiding in a valley that have got the Nazca lines on them, depicting 13 million years ago. And, and then depicting continents and, sh- and oh. stars and shit from 30. That's... Oh, man. That's jumping know. around on I the know. timeline. I know. The timeline just got spewed out to 13 million. Oh, look at this. Some local farmers, lured by the fame of the stones, have now taken to creating and selling forgeries to unsuspecting tourists, so stones have recently appeared from the area are highly questionable. However, there is no denying the authenticity of the original stones who actually created them will probably always remain an unsolved mystery, but the graphic detail and unquestionable accuracy of the 15,000 artifacts truly poses one of the greatest and meanest the most alluring mysteries of South America. You know what I'd do if I was Dr. Cabrera? I wonder if he's still alive, Dr. Cabrera. I would release the fact that other people are doing it. That yeah. way then yours are the authentic ones. Yeah, and Your yeah. value goes up. <laughs> Because he bought 11,000 of them puppies. The problem is now, the problem with all this stuff, man, is that every time we, like, I now need to delve into the eco stones. We need to. Well, that's what, that's, (laughs) that's what we were saying the other day too, about this whole, this whole series that we're sort of pursuing now is it's kind of cutting out the middleman. Once upon a time, we would have read this book. um, Both of us read it and then put together sort of bits and pieces that were interesting and delved into those and, and then we would have created uh, an episode out of it. Whereas now we're just cutting out the middleman and bringing mm. you right into mm. the research room mm. as we read this information together. Mm. So we're all finding this out. You know, there's bits and pieces that we may already know. Mm. Um, there's other bits like this one where it's like it's throwing out new bits of information. And I'm sure some listeners have probably heard this this information in depth. Mm. But it, currently we we're, we're like, oh wow, that's cool. Because the thing the thing with this topic and why I like the way Max has done it is there's so much, man. Like we have honestly put what would be now thousands of hours of research mm. into this sort of stuff. And we're just learning about, we we see, isn't it interesting? We both said we thought the eco stones that a farmer did it. Didn't we say yeah. that? Yeah, 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 definitely. So, so now we learn. So we knew part of the story. We knew part of the story, yeah. but not, yeah. 
13 million. That's just blown. Like the timeline just went from here to like wrong way. Over, you know, over yeah. near where you are somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, okay. But does that, you know, for me a little bit, it brings that 13 million year old guess, you know, that I don't know. It, it, it could also, you could also view it as bringing some parts of the information into question. The fact that we've gone from, you know, um, Nazca line sort of stuff. I, I don't know. Don't quote me on it because I'm not a scientist, but I don't, I feel like the Nazca lines wouldn't, wouldn't have survived 13 million years. That's interesting. That's, that's there the question go. in my mind. That's interesting. That's is, an, there you go. I like that. That's an interesting perception. How could the Nazca line survive 13 million years with continent shift and everything that must have gone Exactly. On? When, uh, when they're saying the continents looked so different 13 million years ago, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So it throws a little bit of, a, a woolly one in there. Sort well, of thing. I, I, I've always wondered about the cosmic garden. You know what I mean? Like, how do we know that the act, because the whole thing about it is, is that, okay, we've taken a picture of the stars now. We've measured them for what, the last 100 years, 19, not even 100 years, 1940s, 50s, like electronically computers, that sort yeah. of stuff. And obviously there's maps before that. And we use our computer modeling to then wind back the clock, yeah. right? And that's how we do it. But what if, you know, the asteroid belt in between Mars and Jupiter was a planet at one point and it wasn't that far long ago that it was a planet? Like, we don't know. We're just warning it back from what we can see. Yep. Right? We don't actually know. No, no, no. That's right. Hmm. We can't. Yeah. It's hard to compute. It is, man. Gravitational forces that may have once existed that don't anymore, et cetera, et cetera. Because when they're mapping the stars, the stars are... A long way away. That's right. That's right. But anyway, let's move on, dude. I digress. Yeah. My turn. Mm. Ancient nanotechnology. Here are some very inexplicable little items. These most intriguing artifacts were found between 1991 and 93 by a group of men prospecting for gold in the Narada River, which is located on the eastern side of the Ural Mountains in Russia. In a far cry from gold, what the prospectors found were some highly unusual and mostly spiral-shaped objects, the, small, the smallest of them measuring a minuscule one one ten thousand of an inch. Mm. At first glance, the obje- objects appeared to be similar to tiny shells or crustaceans. Mm. Only analysis proved them to be something quite different. Laboratory tests subsequently revealed that these most unusual objects were actually composed of an alloy of copper and the rare metal tungsten and a molybdenum. Um, although, what a mouthful. Although, what on earth they are, what they may have been used for, or who made them, is an utter mystery. Further tests have calculated these objects to be between 20,000 and 318,000 years old. Here you go. Timeline just jumped again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And the thing is, I have seen these before. Yeah. As far as like, because I look into a bit of oops art, so I have yep. seen this stuff before. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. It's like, it's like, well, it's just bits and pieces, isn't it? It's parts of tech. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something explodes. Yeah. All little tiny bits and pieces that go over. Well, that's right. That you know, that could quite possibly be out of something that we have, mm. sort of thing. Mm. All right. You know, when we say nothing would be left of a hard drive yeah 
in ten thousand years. But well, what if? Yeah, like the, a spring or, or something yeah. made out yeah, yeah, of the yeah. right um, alloy. Yeah, might around. survive. Well, it would do. You would well, definitely so. some yeah. parts of something would. Yeah, yeah. But just like this, being able to work out what those parts are from. Yeah, that's a whole nother thing. I mean, it looks like a spring in a couple of tiny little washes, but you know, how do you? That's what it looks like. But because we put it on our mechanical thing don't exactly yeah. exactly you want me to do the next one yeah mate you a go 500,000 year old spark plug love it in another equally bizarre find in 1961 the owners of a gift shop in Olancha California retrieved what appeared to be a normal fossil encrusted geode while fossicking in the Coso mountains much to their surprise however when they later cut the geode in half with a diamond saw Instead of a collection of crystals, as one would expect, they found an obviously artificial object made inside it. The encased object had a metal core surrounded by layers of ceramic-like material and a hexagonal, non-petrified... Now wooden, petrified. Now. Wow. I just skimmed straight over that now. Mm. Now petrified wooden sleeve. To the surprise of all, when x-rayed, the object appeared to be very... To, very closely resemble a modern day spark plug or some other electronic component figure 24 is showing far too many striking similarities to be just casually dismissed example in figure 25 the obvious problem here is that if it was found encased inside a fossil encrusted geode that was an estimated that was estimated to be around 500,000 years old Dun, dun, dun. The last known person to be in possession. <laughs> the last known person, person. to yeah, be in possession yeah, yeah, yeah. of the intriguing Coso artifact was one of the original people who discovered it, a Mr. Wallace Lane. Lane kept the object at home with him, but flatly refused to display it to anyone during his latter years. It is thought that Wallace Lane has since died, and the current location of the artifact unfortunately remains unknown. Fascinating man, check it out. Well, there you go, champion spark plug and the artifact. Uh-huh. There you go, hence why it's thought to look so. Dude, that's take that that bit on the left out, mm. it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same, exactly the same. Wow, it's interesting, man. Mm-hmm. I'll hand it over. You hand it over? It's all you, boy. Okay. Stone Age modern hand tools. Do you realize how long it takes for an object to fossilize? We are told that the process literally takes millions of years. Consider then that a group of workers quarrying limestone in 1786 that come across an amazing artifact in an underground sand bed about 50 feet below ground level. And this is the issue too. We sort of spoke about this a little bit last time. It's like modern day quarries use big machines. Yeah. When you were doing it by hand, you'd find stuff. Yeah, exactly. But these days, you just drill a hole, put some dynamite in, just hit Blast it. Yeah. And then send in the 70-tonner. Yeah, that's yeah. right. In the layer of sand, they found the stumps of stone pillars and fragments of half-worked rock. And after digging a little further, they discovered coins, petrified wooden hammers, hand wooden hammer handles, and pieces of other petrified wooden hand tools. In the sand which the discovery was made was lies beneath a layer of limestone that has been dated to be at least 300 million years old and still more recent discoveries of petrified tools have occurred since then. I, I, my, my problem with the current 
way we date things is what happens in extreme events, right? Yeah. So say uh, 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 fragments of a comet come firing out of the sky, mm-hmm. melt ice caps and have a 400-meter flood all over the globe, yep. volcanic eruptions, possibly a pole shift, possibly, you know, like fall, fall, continent-wide wildfires. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what does that actually Ash do? Ash falling down. Ash falling down, whatever else. What does that, yeah, what yep. does that do? How do we know that that, because we don't know what that combination of things does because we barely admit that it happens. Yeah. Uh, so we don't know, you know what I mean? That's my issue with some of this stuff, yeah? Yeah, 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 100%. The, uh, th- there was a hammer handle found inside an almost 100-million-year-old rock near London, England. This find was particularly unique because of the, though the exterior of the handle was petrified, the interior was discovered to contain a massive amount of porous coal. And this is very significant and quite remarkable because there is no scientific way to account for such a thing happening. To explain the process of petrified... The, the, to explain... The process of petrification occurs when timber and other organic objects are buried in silt. When this occurs, silicates impregnate the material and dissolve it slowly, replacing the oxygen and hydrogen, which begins the process of silification, which eventually leads to petrification. Coal, on the other hand, is formed by charred timber being greatly compressed under tons of earth. The two processes could be not be more different, yet in this case, each process must have occurred virtually simultaneously or in short succession. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right? So, you know, if you've got you know, what, what's, what about if the stuff that hits the ground? You know, how much dirt is going to be thrown into the atmosphere? Yep. And then what kind of acceleration does that have coming down? Yep. And you've got continent-wide wildfires, right? you know, boom. Like, yeah. I don't know. I'm just, just yeah, spitballing. Not, not only that, but also you've got to think about what's what's happening to the crust around an impact site Yeah, where, um, where you've just had a massive rock slam into the ground. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, is it... The, what kind of pressure does that create? Pressures and yeah. forces and heat and mm. stuff like that is that going to cause? So yeah, man, it's definitely something to think about. Uh, As for science, scientists are unable to produce petrified timber containing porous coal though any through any modern methods. This also completely negates the possibility of the item being a hoax. Yeah, and that's the hammer in coal. Yeah, we've seen that one before. I've heard it as being a hoax more than once. However. Yeah, however, that piece of information makes it difficult. Oh, don't, don't, don't do it. I'm trying. I'm doing my best, man. Well, the thing is that they know what time and date we've done this. See, it's, it's, it's witching out. Uh, okay. A fossilized human handprint. We also have the amazingly and thoroughly impossible discovery of a completely fossilized handprint, which corresponds perfectly to an actually human hand, which was found in limestone at Glen Rose. The fossil shows a considerable amount of detail and even the th- print of the thumb nail. Do you, do you really realise how long it takes for something to fossilise? The fossil quite simply should not exist because the limestone in which this handprint was be found designated from the Middle Cretaceous period, which places around 110 million years old. And so I know they found... I mean, handprints and footprints are interesting, man, because like, there's that big, massive footprint in the wall... Uh, yeah, and I think they found a footprint in Greece, which was five million, six million, yep. I think. So, again, though, what creates that process? Had you know, mm-hmm. it's, can it be accelerated? Yeah, under different exactly. Different situations, exactly. 
uh, I'll do the ancient calculator, then I'll uh, I'll pass it over to you because we haven't done. Copy that. There's been a lot done on the uh, Antikythera device, the Antikythera device, the the mechanical object that was found in the Greek ship. Yep. There's been so much done on that. We haven't really done it here because there's so much of it. So it's not. It's worth mentioning uh, because again, and I think. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he says, actually. I'll wait. Yeah. Further elements of ancient machining can be observed in the mysterious Antikythera device, an artifact that was found at the site of an ancient shipwreck just off the Greek island of Antikythera. The artifact is manufactured from bronze and consists of a series of interlocking cogs and wheels, although heavily corroded, is quite unique and very extraordinary. When it was first discovered, experts thought it was possibly some type of navigational equipment. A now more detailed investigation revealed it to be something vastly more complex. Radiograph and X-ray examination revealed the existence of different turntable comprising of over 30 interlocking geared cog, cog set at various different planes fixed within the device, testifying to an extremely high degree of craftsmanship and a clockmaker's attention to detail. It is quite obviously a precision instrument of enormous complexity. But what exactly is it? The instrument bears inscriptions, unfortunately heavily corroded by seawater, that seem to revert to zodiac positions with a great deal of accuracy. Apart from its perfection in manufacture, it is something that also involves a considerable amount of astronomical expertise. It also has certain similarities with some known astronomical instruments and is thought to be possibly an advanced type of astrolab, a celestial calendar and navigational device used for determining and exhibiting the year-round positions of stars and planets. Adding even further to the puzzle, the wreck from which the device was salvaged dates back to nearly 100 BC and has previously been thought that no such refined craftsmanship was completely known until the mid-16th century. No other artefact that comes anywhere near this degree of sophistication has ever been recovered from another wreck either before or since. Even astrolabs that have been recovered from vessels that sank millennia later look simplistic by comparison. And look, I think, um, yeah, no one knows who made it. And I, from, because I keep an eye on this because the, the wog in me keeps an eye on stuff that's Greek. Yeah. And I think they've done 3D modeling of it now. And it's pretty much what he said. It's, it's some sort of astrolab. It measures moon, it measures, you know, cycles of the cycles planets, of the planets and, all yeah. that sort of stuff that's what it is that's what it actually does and it's a mystery man like how and then then how mm. did they have it in a ship dated from so long ago mm. and what's to say that the people who owned that ship the creators of the ship were the creators of that device you wouldn't think so well you never know, you and, never know. And, the, and the thing is like it could be like the the perry reese map mm. well that's what i was just where, about to mention the maps yeah, yeah. so yeah. so the people the people who drew the map had drew the, the map had the machine may have had the machine yeah. and now later on the people who are sailing around they got the machine but they don't they may not have all the maps that's right it's fascinating so, stuff man it's interesting the anti-kythera device is very much a puzzle in itself but another very intriguing part of the puzzle is this for this kind of precision machine instrument to even exist, it means there must have also been an equally sophisticated machine on which it was made. Exactly. Yet we have no such record of such a machine ever existing and no hint of any such capabilities. Capability has ever been found, so who made it and how? And I think what I like what he did there is that it's like the Gobekli Tepe thing. It's like, yeah, an amazing 
amazing uh, architecture and megalith stuff, but who filled in the hole? Yeah. Same thing this. Yeah, cool machine. What machine made, made that machine? machine? Because, because it's got to be precise. That's right. You you got to know. So you've got to know measuring. You've got to know density. You know what I mean? Like mathematics, geometry, like the, just the list just expands exponentially yeah. very, very quickly for a lot of this stuff. And that's what I find, you know, that's why I don't get, well, the, I must admit the stone sort of threw me a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, don't get, I, I try and step back from the, wow, look at the pretty computer thing. It's like, hang on a minute, who made that? No, that's, dude, that's the thing. And how did you, and they would have had to have the information written down in order to set it as well. How do you set one of those things up? Where's the zero date? You know what I mean? Like how, yeah. like. Yeah, that's it, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's very interesting. You know what I mean? Well, mate, we're going to go back to Balbeck. Balbeck's a favourite of ours here. We're going to go see Max's uh, take on Balbeck. Mm, Take it away, brother. Still many other, even more wondrous things were achieved in times long past. In eastern Lebanon lies a city called Balbeck that can truly lay claim to some of the most spectacular ruins on Earth. The ruins of the Temple of Jupiter, now in attempting to identify the true origin of the constructions at Balbeck, we are all told by academics that in 27 BC, the Roman Emperor Augustus supposedly came to the rather unfathomable decision to build what is absolutely and irrefutably the grandest, mightiest, and most lavish temple built in all of antiquity, and to do so in what is quite literally the middle of nowhere. And that's been our contention the whole time, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, let's march into the desert and build a temple to the god of wine. Mm. Um just because. Just because. And move massive, massive stones. Massive. The ruins at Baalbek are absolutely massive with its huge courtyard constructed on a wide platform that is still retained by three huge walls. These retaining walls contain 27 limestone blocks, larger in size than those that can be found anywhere else in the, in the world. Each of the blocks in these walls weigh in excess of 300 metric tons. However, there are three blocks in the wall that weigh over 800 tons each. This trio of blocks has gained world renown and are con- col- wow, collectively known as the Trilithon. Yeah. The Temple of Jupiter really is one of the most impressive ancient temples in the world. It measures 88 by 48 metres and stands on a platform or podium reached via a wide stairway that can also only be described as truly monumental. The actual podium rises a full 13 metres above the surrounding terrain. The trilithon in the retaining walls are three of the four largest stone blocks ever hewn. There she blows. Mm, that's a different angle. I, mean, I haven't seen that angle no, before. That's, yeah, 100%. That's a great photo. Yeah. Gives perspective. Mm. Now, if we really think about all this and consider events within the officially accepted academic framework that we are given of history, mm. the site chosen for the Temple of Jupiter makes no sense at all. We can find no apparent or obvious rhyme or reasons Augustus may have had for selecting the site at Baalbek for such an elaborate temple. In Roman times, sorry, Baalbek, Baalbek was apparently... Just a small city on a trading route to Damascus. Yeah, we'll just put a massive temple there. Yeah. It while, held while, no, we're, while we're feeding the horses. There's no special 
religious or cultural significance for Rome, other than being in the centre of a coveted burial region that was favoured by local tribes. We need sound effect buttons. <laughs> da ding. It also seems completely out of character for the undeniably selfish Rome to have gone to all the trouble of creating such lavish and extravagant architecture in Lebanon and at, and at a place like Baalbek that is located so far from Rome. The Romans were, after all, an enormously and undeniably greedy empire and were in the very process of stealing historic treasures from other countries such as obelisks from Egypt. At the very same time, the Temple of Jupiter was under construction. It makes much more sense to surmise that Baalbek may have been something else the Romans wanted from the site, possibly something no other place, not even Rome, could offer them. It could even be the reason why so many people wish to be buried there. But we are told by academics that no, the temple is definitely and undisputably of Roman origin. Yeah. I've got, um, that's a bad photo. Hmm. Um, I've seen way better better photos photos in that that area. In that area, yeah. I had a guy, geez, this was years ago. I was telling him about Baalbek. I've got it somewhere in the podcast files. Yeah. But he sent me, Basically, what looked like, so he st- they moved the blocks using ropes, yes, and a series of wooden pulleys, yes, of course. And I laughed at him because mm. I'm like, "You're talking to someone who was in logistics for, you know, the best part of 20 years." Yeah. Um, no, mm. is the answer to that question. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know the biggest cranes. I'm aware of cranes. I like the. The 800 ton blocks there, there is no crane right now that could actually pick that up and move it. Yeah. And then put it on top of a hill. Yeah. Like in 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's right, man. It blows, it blows our mind. Mm. There are, however, serious problems with this claim. Investigation into the blocks in the retaining wall of the Baalbek, Baalbek temple site very clearly shows them to be far more eroded than the bona fide Roman ruins of the Temple of Jupiter which yeah. we're all waiting to get to this point. Yes. And the two other Roman temples that can also be found on this site. Now, since the stone of the retaining wall is of the same type as the temple, it is reasonable and logical to assume that heavily eroded rocks are naturally much older. Mm. It is then also logical to surmise that the Roman temple was in fact an augmentation to a much older pre-existing platform And this, of course, would also help to explain why on earth such a remote site was chosen for the temple, because it offered Augustus a ready-made pre-existing platform on which to construct it, which probably had a meaning to it. Yeah. I'm going to just keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The issue really is quite simple and straightforward, and it's difficult to understand why the idea that construction of the platform and retaining wall could have taken place earlier than the temple is scoffed at by the mainstream (laughs) archaeological community. Still is too, by the way. The substantial amount of erosion visible on the large blocks of the retaining wall quite adequately qualifies as material proof of their far greater age than the actual ruins of the Temple of Jupiter. It's the size of the stone too. Remember when we did Megalithomania too, I had some really good pictures of the Roman stuff? Yep. That's like a tenth of the size. Yeah, like it's, yeah, yeah. it's it's the same as like South America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the older, ancient 
right. more precisely cut massive stuff yeah. built on top of by later, smaller, mm. easily easy moved like mm, almost cut. like bricks yeah, 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 yeah sort yeah, of thing exactly but anyway the substantial amount of erosion visible on the large rocks retaining wall adequately <laughs> qualifies oh damn it yeah. you're so much better than of finding those areas that it's reasonably apparent that if quite substantial geological evidence significantly opposes the theory then the theory is obviously incorrect i love max but there is a problem with this for academics because this, of course, would have to mean that the Romans have constructed the Temple of Jupiter. They had done so on a platform that had been previously constructed by a far more ancient party who at this stage remains unknown. And they certainly don't want to bring that up. Ancient that ancient civilization thing again. Yeah. A notable point in this issue is that the Roman Empire was well known to have been quite an egotistical regime you could say that and yet we find no claim to building an incredible retaining wall anywhere in the roman records that's if i never thought about that if they'd built a if they'd moved 800 ton stones there'd be a they would boast about they it. would tell you about it it's there still exists actual texts that record roman transport capabilities yeah. during the reign of the roman emperors including augustus these records clearly show that the load limit for the transportation of big blocks elsewhere in the Roman Empire at the time was just a little over 300 metric tons. And that was achieved only with the greatest amount of difficulty. The highly celebrated yeah, transportation the of the 323-ton Laterano obelisk to Rome, for example, was an enormously difficult and dangerous task that spanned the reign of three emperors. So it took three emperors to move the obelisk. Yet we find that transportation of the massive... 800 ton blocks at Baalbek for the Temple of Jupiter is not mentioned in Roman records anywhere at all. This fact also raises immediate questions. See, this is detail that I haven't, I've thought about, but not thought about in this way. I love it that he's going logistics. Yeah, man. it's great. Look at that. Look at the size difference. Yeah. Again, I've seen better pictures of that as well, but yeah. Yeah. It is also very, worth noting that by the reign of augustus the romans also knew about and very often used concrete mm. the Colosseum, still standing in rome today is a very good example of classic roman concrete structure it has simply never been in roman style to build with megalithic blocks in fact such megalithic architecture appears nowhere else in, at all in the entire roman empire it is also significant that ptolemy can conferred the title of Heliopolis 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 upon Baalbek for him to have given the place that particular title it stands to reason that Baalbek had to have been an ancient holy place and must have already had some notable architecture or some significant connection to the other Heliopolis sun city also part of Ptolemy's domain in Egypt. There's still a further clue. In 636 AD, the Temple of Jupiter was taken over by the Arabs, who turned it into a fortress, also doing some further construction of their own. This means that the blocks used in the Arab sections of Baalbek were laid about 650 years after the blocks of the Roman Temple. So consider the conundrum. 
if the large blocks of the retaining wall were Roman, then the newer Arab blocks would mark the erosion of the older Roman blocks as they were after the first six or 700 years since they were laid, right? So how then can the erosion of the large blocks in the retaining wall be so much greater than the erosion of both the old blocks of the Roman temple and the newer blocks of the Arab ruins in the subsequent 1500 years since the Arab section was constructed? According to local, <laughs> local legend, Baalbek had supposedly been a religious center devoted to Baal in Phoenician times, and local Arab legends actually placed the cyclopean blocks of the retaining wall back to the time of Cain and Abel. Other tales tell that the platform was built by the gods of old. Hmm. Near the southern entrance of Baalbek is a quarry where the stones used in the temples and retaining walls were cut. No traces of any ancient road can be found between the quarry and the temple, which also raises questions on how the enormous 800-ton quarried monoliths were ever even transported to the site. Do you want me to take over? No, no, you're right. This lack of any road can only mean either one of two things. Either the blocks of the retaining wall were transported so far back in antiquity that all trace of the road has long since disappeared, or a road was never required for the task of transporting them. <sighs> in fact, a road would have been of little use anyway mm-hmm. due to the sheer weight of the blocks. The foundations of any road strong enough to, to be used for such a task would have to have been truly immense, and if such a road had ever existed, some trace of it would undoubtedly still remain today. Wow. So... How were they moved? Another huge stone block known as the stone of the pregnant woman, mm-hmm. which we've spoken about before, mm-hmm. still now lies in the ancient quarry where it was cut in antiquity. It measures 21.5 metres by 4.8 metres by 4.2 metres in size, weighs an estimated 1,000 tonnes, and is the largest hewn stone to be found anywhere in the world. Mm. There is no contractor or crane in the world that is capable of moving these hewn blocks from the quarry to the temple site. Mm -hmm. Such a task is still well beyond any of our current transportation capabilities. In fact, I will quite happily donate the entire proceeds from the sale of this book to anyone who can move this stone from the quarry to the Baalbek Temple podium. <laughs> I love it how he went logistics, dun, man. Dun, dun. I love it how he went logistics. Maybe, maybe you guys were both in logistics once upon a time in, yeah. a, in a previous life. And I, I hadn't put that together, the road, because he's right. Yeah. But he's, just done a, to... he's just done a quick summary like pyramid logistics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just done a Baalbek logistics. He's just done a Baalbek logistics. That's fucking excellent, Max. It is, man. It is fucking excellent. That's actually exactly how to put it. So the little tidbit that I wanted to um, the temple at Jerusalem. Yeah. But see, Bacchus is the God of wine. Dionysus is also the God of wine. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's Greek and Roman, but the Masonic documents that we shouldn't have, I reread those the other day. Yeah. And the Masons that went to build, I don't think it's the, it's not the temple. I can't remember which temple it is. Uh, the wonder Jehovah. Yeah. However, 
I really should know that. Sorry about that, everyone. I'll I'll I'll, I'll fix it up in the intro. Good story, man. Just yeah, needs thanks, more man. dragons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, the long story short, the Masons originated building that temple. Yeah. The and they were the Dionysian mysteries is part of the Masonic rituals. Dionysus is the god of wine. Bacchus is the god of wine. Baalbek was the temple. De, de, you know, dedicated to Bacchus in the Roman times. You see where I'm going? See where I'm joining this together? Yes. So the megalithic architects from that region came from Tyre. Tyre is another one that we've got to dig into because there is megalith stuff everywhere in Tyre. Right. Not as big as this, obviously, but mm-hmm. not small either, man. Where is Tyre? It's about, so, so hang on, where are we? So About a six-pack away? Yeah, so Bal, yeah, about a six So Balbec, so Balbec's so here. Yeah. Right? And I think Lebanon, uh, Lebanon's up here, Tyre's down here. All right, yeah, it's in okay. the same region. Yeah. But that, so the the Masons from Tyre built that temple, which I I'm, cannot, it, the little men in my head will not tell me what it is. Mm. However, yeah, they came from Tyre, which is Balbec. It's all tied in, man. Okay. And the Freemasons are obviously hewning stone, aren't they? So, That's right. You they're know, Masons. They're it's Masons. All in the name. Well, right, mate, so you're up. Iron pot in the coal. I'm just going to have a quick flick. Yeah, it's pretty small. Uh, yeah. I reckon we maybe ancient electricity and call it a day. Yeah, right. Oh, hang on. It's a dip, bit of it. Yeah. Let me check the zero hour clock. No, I've got the clock down the bottom there. It's 10 2. So we've got about 10 minutes, man. Ish. Uh, 14 minutes exactly. Boom. Okay. So, yeah. So that's, that's I, I put an hour and 15 on the zero hour clock. Yeah, Roger. Okay. Uh, an iron pot in coal. Actually, there's an article on the Facebook page about this. In 1912, two employees who were shoveling coal in the municipal electric plant in Thomas, Oklahoma, broke apart a larger chunk for the furnaces. When to the surprise of both men, an iron pot fell out of the chunk. Several experts subsequently examined the iron pot and it was declared to be genuine. The imprint of the pot could also still be clearly seen in the broken chunks of coal that encased it. According to Robert O'Fay of the Oklahoma Geological Society, the Wilburton mine in which the pot was found is about 312 million years old. Are you noticing the pattern yet? 300 million, 100 million? Like mm. it seems to be, they seem to be the two. It's, it's either it's either a point in time where their tests like the the deviation gets so large that it's just like a rounded number like yeah 300 million or if it's pointing to that if our testing is pointing to that sort of time yeah well is it, it seems test? to be common mm. and again I, I i just want to reiterate the what if certain you know scenarios accelerate that process yes exactly all right evidence of advanced medical knowledge Apart from the enigmatic works in stone, there are also telltale signs of extremely advanced surgical procedures that were performed in days long past. These come from the form of numerous skulls here. In the Neolithic age, they appear to have been trepanned. Yeah, I've seen that, the holes in the skulls and stuff. Yeah. Trepanning involves inserting plates into a patient's skull as a delicate and quite advanced medical procedure. Yeah, you're not going to just go, yeah, we we can't patch your cut or your broken bone, but just I'm just going to take a part of your skull off and put a metal plate in. Yeah. First of all... (laughs) When are we doing this in the Stone Age? Yeah, yeah. How somewhere. are we getting metal plates? Exactly. <laughs> That's right. 
Richard Mooney explains the process in his book, Colony Earth in This Way. Drowning today is an operation in which a section of bone in the skull is removed, either to ease pressure caused by a tumour or blood clot, or to remove splinters of bone caused by a skull fracture and the cavity is closed by a plate. The operation is hardly minor and requires great skill and care to perform. It is difficult to believe that Neolithic man, if he was, as he has been thought, extremely primitive, could have carried out such operations with the crudest techniques, a flint knife, and no anaesthetics or notions of hygiene. Yeah, just come over here, mate. I'm just going to use this stone to crack your skull over. Why is his knife made out of flint yes. when he's got metal? <laughs> Evidence shows that the survivors of this ancient cranial treatment also went on to live for years afterwards. Oh, excuse me. It is very remarkable that considering up to quite recent times, the patients undergoing any type of trepanning at a high mortality rate due to infection. Yeah, exactly. Blood poisoning and other obvious complications involved with cranial surgery. Still more evidence of ancient trepanning comes to us from this former Soviet Union where examination of several skulls unearthed. Now, I love uh, Russian stuff. Uh, <laughs> Ishtikunai. Kunai, Ishti Kunai, Lake Ishti Kunai near Lake Savan in Armenia indicate a similarly highly developed technique of cranial surgery employed over 4,000 years ago. One patient obviously suffered a serious head injury, and the prehistoric surgeon had neatly plugged the fracture by using a carefully shaped wedge that had been delicately crafted from an animal bone. The skull showed obvious signs that the patient's bone tissue had then grown over and enveloped the plug, which adequately indicates the person survived the operation and lived for quite some time afterwards, of course. Another similar skull was found revealing that one woman had been operated upon to remove an inch-wide object that had smashed through her skull, penetrating directly into the brain. But the surgeon had cut around the object to remove the splinters and again closed the wound using a section of crafted animal bone. Such an operation would have been incredibly complex and was also undoubtedly involved with brain surgery, yet the growth of the bone over the wound again shows this patient of prehistoric times was then able to live for many years afterwards. Man, like that's like... So, you where did you jump to brain surgery, man? You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, we just leap to to brain surgery. That's yeah, what we do. That's where we get to. Yeah, with flint knives. Yeah, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. The one that I've seen, the skull that I've seen, it's got this like, it's almost like a teardrop shaped bit of metal. Yeah, that's like covering a a thing in the skull, and again, it's grown over. So yeah. you know, it's obviously. Yeah, man. That's. How do you work out that you can do that? And yeah, it's just that's a far out one, yeah, you know. And the fact that they're dated so far back, it's weird. A pet, yeah, man, yep. a petrified human skull. Another completely baffling artifact was unearthed in the form of a petrified human cranium with the eye sockets broken that was found along with other human bones and soft organs in Pennsylvania and again in anthracite. According to official geological estimates, the structure of anthracite are a minimum of 300, there you go, 300 million years old. See, now this is where I think a lot of the dating's coming from, is yeah. the dating of the strata. Exactly. It's coming from the dating of the coal and the strata. So, What's to say the dating of the strata is correct, though? And But if, it is, if they're measuring pressure, which yep. I think is what it is, the, the silica, the, you know, how tightly it's packed or whatever it is, mm -hmm. again, yep. what if something accelerates that process? Yes. Which means that this man existed on Earth in the carbo carboniferous carboniferous periods, or possibly yes, he's wandering around like before the dinosaurs, basically. Yeah. All right, man. Let's uh, yeah, let's finish on the battery because that's got the cool pictures, and then we'll we'll wrap it up for today. I think, Copy man. That ghost rider. 
Uh, okay. Ancient electricity. There is compelling evidence of an ancient electrical supply that was used as much as we use the electric current today. On a low-voltage scale, several clay pots have been excavated in Iraq that appear to have been soldered with a lead-tin alloy, which is, again, how do you know to mix lead and tin? Mm-hmm. Topped with copper discs and sealed with bitumen. So that's, that's it's an electrical device, right? Yep. You just know that that's a battery, right? The device is, in fact, basically a laden jar when a mixture of copper, sulfate, and acetic acid, citrus juice, or vinegar was added to these excavated pots. They produced around two volts of electricity. Over the years, many more of these electric cells have been discovered in other places throughout the old Persian Empire and also in Egypt, indicating that the use of them was widely and quite commonly practiced. That's, dude, dude. Dude. How do they light underground? Hmm. Two volts is enough to power a Two light bulb. Two with volts with an incandescent light bulb. Boom. Job's done. Perfect. That's your little, that's, that's like a lamp. Yeah. You know, you get your jar with your fucking and you put bulb a couple, on top. Put, put a couple of those in the corner. Yep. Well, there's one right here. You know what I mean? You put a little battery underneath that. Yep. Done. That we just answered a mystery. That's it. Problem solved. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. We need sound effect. Problem solved. <laughs> like a stamp. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> electroplating is a technique that was previously thought to be only recently discovered. However, such small voltage is perfect for electroplating objects and may help explain the discovery of pieces of electroplated gold and jewelry found in okay, of sites in Egypt. So it's like that's the that's the correct voltage to electroplate things. Yep. On the high voltage scale, scholars have often wondered how such intricate paintings were done in many Egyptian tombs. Yet there are no signs of soot on the ceilings oh, of any of them. <laughs> Max is in the room. Soot would indicate the use of a candle, lamp, or some kind of flame to provide light for the artist. Many have surmised this series linking mirrors may have been used to bring light from the outside. There are however, some interesting paintings on the walls of the tomb at Abydos, Egypt, appear holding large filament-type devices like big light bulbs that are resting on stands attached to some kind of power supply box by a cable, which other people are working on with nearby hand tools. These filament devices look very similar to the device known as a Crookes tube, which is an early cathode ray tube. X-rays were actually discovered while conducting experiments with the Crookes tube. Boom. We'll do ancient X-ray machine because obviously that that follows on. Ties in a little bit. Yep. Mm. There's also a quite remarkable rock painting that can be found in caves of Toro Murto in Peru that closely resembles a figure with raised arms holding what appears to be an X-ray plate of the thorax. I've been able to obtain a photograph of the painting, but it apparently the ribs, chest cavity, and central column resembling the spine are all clearly visible on the plate the figure is holding. Now, what on earth could that be doing there? Hmm. So where are we up to? Page 46, mate. Okay, cool. We'll stop share that there, man. Well, dude. That was, there's a lot to contemplate and think about. There's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. And there's a lot to think about, you know, in terms of Max's input. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah we covered a lot of topics here tonight. And, and a lot of the topics have had either new information or extra information. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. With the, I, you know, I don't know so, about you, but I, I haven't had a bit of mind expansion. Yeah, man. I'm highly enjoying this book. Max's, Max's twenty years or so of, of research that went into this. Mm. 
um, are mm. amazing. And like you said last week, I, I, you know, it'd be interesting to get a hold of some of those segments that may have possibly not made the cut. That's right. How deeper did he go into some of these things that we just looked at? Yeah, and hope, the logistics really of Balberg. Right. I hope he's not in Mexico. Oh, he is in Mexico. He is in Mexico, yeah, definitely. Yes. He definitely is in Mexico. Maybe he could send us something. Um, yeah, Balbeck. Yeah, the, the logistical section of Balbeck. Yeah. That was very interesting because he is correct was a very egotistical thing absolutely they and would have recorded for sure not absolutely. like them to not record it mm. especially when the other information is yeah there's is like readily available. there's records of the you know they're moving their tax receipts and grain yeah. like this unbelievable well, and, records. and the uh obelisk yeah that took three emperors yeah three emperors to yeah. move one obelisk. the reign of three emperors to move that yeah and that was one obelisk at 383 mm. tons what i find interesting as well and we didn't mention at the time was the the stone of the pregnant woman like since those they're older photos yes. right so since those photos and since he's done this they've actually excavated more around there yeah but what i find interesting is it, it's more evidence of they walked away from the job yes something happened because uh that pregnant woman stone is like it's even scooped underneath yes. isn't it yeah, so yeah it's like sitting on a spine of rock where that's similar to the obelisk in sides. egypt you know the object in Egypt we did yeah, with the scoop was, marks underneath that again was unfinished, unfinished like they walked yeah. away. They just walked away from yeah. the job. So something happened. Yeah. You know, potentially something catastrophic. Well, mate, I think we could probably wrap it on about um this one for a while. And I think maybe we'll maybe next maybe next time we we'll do one article and just because I'm gonna have thoughts about this. I'm sure you are as well. So mm -hmm. maybe we just do a little recap and uh have a bit of a think about the batteries and the cathodes and um, I might look into the ecostones a bit more too. So let's, why don't, why don't we have a look at, see if we can find any articles that have been written um, more recently mm. about some of the interesting things that we looked at tonight, mm. just to see if we can add to where Max left off back mm. in the early 2000s. Well, I got me pen, mate. As soon as we get off the mic, I will make some notes. Bloody beautiful. You better get off the mic then before you forget. Yeah. Thanks, right. brother. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks, guys. Good Hope night, you like people. the new uh, setup. It will evolve. Really appreciate your time. And we'll talk soon. Cheers. Peace. Just want to go again. Let's do it. Yeah. Go again. All right. I know you been here before no surprises settle the score I know the darkness deep inside reckless rage poison pride I know the anger I know the pain through I know you I know you Wow I 
Ciao.